0: And welcome to another edition of the X Zone. I am Rob McConnell. We're coming to you around the world from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. If you'd like to uh, send me an email, X at X on all social media sites, X Radio TV. To find out about the programming we have on the X Zone Broadcast Network radio side, just go to www.xzbn.net. And for the X Zone TV channel, we are on Simul TV, channel 21. My guest this hour is a gentleman that we've had the pleasure of having on the show before. John Kachuba is his name, and he is the award-winning author of 12 books and numerous articles, short stories, and poems. John holds advanced degrees in creative writing and teaches that subject through Ohio University and the Gotham Writers' Workshop. He is a member of the Historical Novel Society and the Horror Writers' Association. John frequently speaks on the paranormal and metaphysical topics and is a regular speaker at universities and libraries, paranormal conferences, and on radio and TV shows. He has been a repeat guest on several of those radio and TV shows, including here in the X Zone. He has also been a faculty member at many writers' conferences and is available for future conferences and writing workshops. Now, John has also worked with writers and writing students in Cambodia, Malta, Portugal, Singapore, Thailand, and Vietnam. And we're here tonight to, with John to talk about his new book, Shapeshifter, A History, and John Kachuba. Welcome back to the Exxon. Great having you with us, John.
1: Thank you, Rob. It's great to be back.
0: So let's see. Uh, it's been a while since you've been with us. What have you been up to?
1: It has. Well, um, probably the most exciting thing is... The book that's coming out in May, Shapeshifters, Mm -hmm. that we're talking about tonight, Um, I had a chance to research that in 2017 in eight different countries in Europe, and then a little bit earlier actually, uh, end of last year and beginning of this year, Mm -hmm. five countries in Asia. So I've done a lot of traveling to, to get that book done. That's been pretty exciting for me.
0: Well, let me ask you a very basic question, and I think it's the first question I should ask you, is what is a shapeshifter?
1: Right. You know, when we think of shapeshifters, we think probably of the, the classic werewolf and vampire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What a shapeshifter is, very simply, is a person that can transform themselves uh, either voluntarily or involuntarily to an animal, uh, to perhaps another person, sometimes even an inanimate object. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're, they exist in every culture around the world and have existed from... Time immemorial, it seems right up to the present day.
0: So shift uh, in, in your opinion, after doing all this research, are shifters more than uh, shapeshifters? are they more than just urban legend?
1: Well, you know, it, it, my research is telling me that there are people mm-hmm. around the world who will swear by having had shapeshifter experiences. Now, as I said earlier, they're in every culture, yeah. uh, you can find folklore and mythology in every culture about shapeshifters. But yet, even today, we have newspaper stories about people witnessing shapeshifting events, mm-hmm. we have people coming forward saying that they have seen something happen, they've seen something or somebody change into something else before their very eyes. So is it just urban legend? Uh, you know, who knows, uh, there are people that swear they're not urban legends.
0: I've got a friend who swears he married a shapeshifter because prior to the marriage and the (laughs) ring going on, she was really sweet and wonderful. And as soon as she got the ring on, she turned into a banshee.
1: Yeah. Oh, there you go. (laughs) Um,
0: So what are the most prevalent or the most notable shapeshifters in history?
1: Well, there's been quite a few. If you go back to antiquity, for instance, Mm -hmm. and, and I did in my book, by the way, I cover... You know, it's nonfiction, and it covers, um, like I say, the cultural uh, shifter in, in cultures all around the right. world, from times, ancient times up to today. Mm-hmm. So, if you go back ancient, um, you know, ancient Egypt, if you look at some of the gods that were uh, depicted in, uh, you know, pyramids and tombs and statues and whatever, we see forms that are not necessarily shapeshifting in that they seem to be frozen between human shape and animal shape. Mm-hmm. For instance. Um, The god Anubis is a very typical one,
0: right? Completely
1: human body, male body, but the head of a jackal, right? We have a tarot, which is very interesting. It's a female, she has a torso of a pregnant female, Mm -hmm. a human female, but the head of a hippopotamus and the tail of a crocodile. Um, You know, so we have those that were sort of not really shape shifting, because they're, as I say, sort of locked into this hybrid form. But then you look at something like Greek culture, where you have Zeus, who was shape-shifted into twenty or thirty different kinds of animals throughout his career as gods of Olympia, uh, you know, changing into bulls, changing into uh, swans, changing into ravens, changing into all kinds of animals, uh, even changing into other people, and primarily to have sex with women. That was kind of his. His rationale for shapeshifting, um, mm. but you know, then you go into the more common ones that we all know. Like I say, werewolves, yeah. uh, vampires—those are probably the two that people really resonate with, and probably most of the literature that you see, most of the films and books, whatever, are about those two types of shapeshifters.
0: Why do you think, John, people are so interested, so so curious about shapeshifters and the reality that they still might? truly exist even here in the 21st century.
1: Hey, I think, um, I think Rob, part of this goes back to uh, ancient times Mm. and our connection to the animal kingdom. We're animals ourselves. We always like to think we're people and then there's animals. Well, I don't know. My wife's called
0: me an animal a few times in my life.
1: Yeah, right. And we're just one of many animals out there. Um, But you know, if you look back at some of the indigenous cultures uh, the ancient indigenous cultures and perhaps even some of the contemporary ones, mm-hmm. where hunters will wear the pelts or skins of animals that they're trying to hunt. They'll wear the antlers, the horns, the claws, yeah. and they'll frequently you know do ritual dances and almost put themselves in a trance. Um, and why do they do that? They do that because they feel that they can take on that that power, the, the speed of that animal, the cunning of that animal, so that they can better trap them themselves and, and you know kill them. So you have that kind of connection. You also have, if you look at the Norse society, uh, the Berserkers, mm-hmm. which uh, if the audience doesn't know who these people were, these guys were, were really bad warriors. I mean, they were, they were horrible. Uh, they would wear either wolf pelts or bear pelts with the head and all that. And they would go into battle in a frenzy. That's where we get our word berserk from. Oh, I see. Uh, it comes from the Berserkers. These guys were crazy. And what they did um, there's some there's some evidence, archaeological evidence, that says they were probably, in addition to getting themselves sort of in a ritual state, mm-hmm. they are probably also taking some drugs, probably mushrooms, right. that would put them this way. But what they would take on the personality of oh, the animal, they were animals. And when they were in battle, uh, you had to stay away from them, even if you were an ally, because they were so crazy in battle that they would just – they'd kill anything that came near them. In fact um, – the Scandinavian countries back in probably the I'm guessing about the 12th century or so actually had to outlaw berserkers because they were so dangerous. Um, so we had this connection, we have this animal connection. And it's because we recognize some of the powers and abilities that animals have. So I, th- I think that's part of why we are attracted to the idea of shapeshifter sort of being an animal again, in a way. But I think there's something else involved, too. I think that uh, for the most part, you know, shapeshifters, sort of represent our darker side. Uh, all of us are good and bad, right, we're moral, sure. we're immoral, sure. yeah. right? We're, we're a mix of things. Uh, it's society and our laws and our sense of morality, perhaps our religion, that keeps us in line. That says, you don't go out and kill your neighbor. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't, you don't do that. You're not supposed right. to do that. Um, but the shapeshifter allows you sort of that, that freedom in a sense of a fantasy to kind of indulge in those in those darker side urges, let's say, and I don't mean to actually go out and do it. But by watching a shapeshifter movie or something, perhaps you can relate to it that way. But also, I don't want to just harp on the darker, darker side, because shapeshifters also can be something good. It could represent something that you are not right now. Mm -hmm. and something you desire to be something better than what you are. Uh, So there's that too. It's, it's sort of wish fulfillment in a way, that a shapeshifter character can represent something that you that you, want to, that you want to be in your nightmares or that you want to be when you go to church, you know, one or the other.
0: So is it safe to say, and I've got about uh, 20 seconds before I have to go for my first break, is it safe to say that shapeshifting, for the most part, is a matter of mind over matter?
1: Well, it is. Uh, I mean, I think there's... There's two things. There's an external shapeshifter. Mm-hmm. These are terms I've given them, but right. an external shapeshifter where there's actually a physical outward change, where, you know, Werewolf in London, the movie, the guy turns into yeah. a werewolf, okay? But there's also what I call an internal shapeshifter. All
0: right, let's hold it right there, John. We've got to take our first break. External John Kachuba is our special guest. We're talking to John this hour about his new book, Shapeshifters, a History, his website, John johnkachuba.com. Dot .com and John and I will return on the other side of this break as we continue here in the X Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada on XZBN and Simul TV. I'm Rob McConnell, don't go away. ExoNation, there is something about a shapeshifter, a person who can transform into an animal that captures our imagination, that causes us to want to howl at the moon or flirt through the night like a bat. Um, werewolves, vampires, demons, and other weird creatures appeal to our animal nature or dark side. Our desire to break free of the bonds of society and proper behavior, real or imaginary, shapeshifters lurk deep in our psyches and remain formidable cultural icons. Our guest this hour is John Kachuba, and he is the author of Shapeshifters, a History. Welcome back, John. Thank you. Um, were there shapeshifters in biblical times as well?
1: There were. Um, one of the most common examples is an involuntary shapeshifter. I can mm-hmm. think of the story of uh, Lot's wife, right? where Lot and his wife are told to leave um, the burning cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and not mm-hmm. look behind them. And of course, she does. And she's turned into a pillar of salt. Um, that's shapeshifting. I, I don't think that was what she mm-hmm. wanted to happen. Uh, it's an involuntary thing. Uh, but there are there are certainly other elements uh, in the Bible. And in fact, one of the most interesting things is recent study by um, boy, I, I'm sorry, the name escapes me right now. But it's in the book, uh, a recent study of some Coptic literature, uh, Coptic, actually papyrus that was found in um, you know, thousands of years old. That was just recently found. In translating this, uh, it, it seems to indicate that Jesus may have been a shapeshifter. And, and I know that's not going to go very well with a lot of members of your audience. and I'm not claiming that that's true. We understand. I'm just saying that this is research now.
0: Now, how um, how would you how would we yeah. explain the shapeshifting of Jesus into what?
1: Well, for one thing, the way the way these. Um, these scraps of uh, paper translate. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I just I'm going to paraphrase, because I don't have it directly in front of me. But one said, uh, describing him was that they said, like, um, uh, he's red at one time, white at another time, that he's old, that he's young, Uh, I seem to describe him in various forms as a human, Mm. but various forms of humanity, uh, which would indicate shape shifting, because again, a shapeshifter can change into another human form. It doesn't have to be directly to an animal. Right. Um, but one of the one of the mysteries too is when there's um, after the resurrection uh, in the Bible, it says Jesus is walking along the road to Emmaus. Uh, no, he's not. I'm sorry. Two of his disciples are walking along the road to Emmaus, and they're talking. This is after Jesus has died, and uh, they don't know that he's resurrected. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, they say he appears in in their midst but they don't recognize him. Now, they just spent, you know, two or three years in his ministry following him all around, living right. with him day in, day out, mm-hmm. and only shortly after his death, he reappears to them, and they don't recognize him. So people are speculating, though, why didn't they recognize him? Was he in a disguise, in a sense, that he shapeshifted into another form for himself? Um, another thing, too, is at the, uh, to think the Garden of Gethsemane, when jesus is arrested by uh the jewish police the security police basically uh judas says to them that you'll recognize him by uh, i'll kiss his cheek you'll recognize him by the man that i kiss Mm -hmm. Uh, and again what is this recognition factor he was well known to everybody why why would they not be able to recognize him at the time so there's speculation on this and as i say it's you know it's there's a lot of room for controversy here. I'm not, you know, (laughs) it's interesting though. It is. Why did you decide
0: to write a book on shapeshifting?
1: It was kind of a sort of a next jump for me. I had already written five books about uh, ghosts Mm -hmm. and hauntings. Right. Uh, And in reading that, especially in reading literature about Japanese ghosts, I found that Japanese ghosts are frequently shapeshifters. And I sort of got interested in, in that aspect of it, like, well, that's interesting. Why, you know, why is that? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and growing up in a, a tradition that I had a very strong liberal education, uh, I had a lot of the Greek mythology and all that already behind me too, and recognized that there were shapeshifters in there. And so I just started looking at that, and I discovered more and more how widespread the shapeshifter character was and how enduring, you know, thousands of years, and we still have shapeshifter stories, and we still have people that swear by actual encounters mm-hmm. with shapeshifters.
0: Is it possible that the term shapeshifting can be applied to the transition of a, of a physical person into a spirit?
1: Well, I think that's part of the way the Japanese look at it, when they mm-hmm. talk about Japanese ghosts. Um, and yeah, I, I, would, I would agree to that. Uh, and that actually becomes very theological again, doesn't it? It does. Uh, you know, if somebody if somebody dies and you're the belief that they become spirit, well, mm-hmm. that is definitely a transformation of some kind. Uh, that is shapeshifting. Uh, you may not see that spirit or anything right. else, but it's there.
0: Right, because back in the olden days, the people really didn't have any concept or actual idea about about physiology, what happens at a time of death. Well, neither do we, to a certain extent, but we're for, certainly more. Ahead than we were back then and is it is it possible that this where the concept of a ghost actually came from from the transition of the physical transitioning or shape-shifting into a into a spirit and if a person at the point of their death can shape-shift why do we think that it's always it has to be the spirit of a, of a person it could be into another animal another another being you know that this opens up the door to so many possibilities
1: right well and actually if you want to talk about reincarnation sure uh, there's that where yeah. you may not necessarily come back in another life as exactly. a human yeah. may come back as an animal <laughs> or something or higher more developed human or or whatever mm-hmm. so yeah i think there's some possibility to to what you're saying um we, we do, we do, obviously we don't know yeah.
0: so tell me in your opinion dracula myth or reality
1: <laughs> A little bit of both. <laughs> so, part of my research for the book, uh, one of the countries that I was in was Romania, mm-hmm. uh, and I checked out all the Dracula sites. I was at the home where he was born wow. in Sighisoara, the house where he was born. Uh, I was I visited some of the uh, ruins of some of the palaces uh, that was. Some of them were built by his father. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I say his, I'm talking about the uh, Dracul, Vlad Dracul, who was a Romanian leader in the in the 15th century, um, Middle Ages, uh, his father and then Vlad, II were both um, pretty ruthless medieval rulers, but that was not uncommon for medieval rulers to be pretty ruthless. But we visit the sites that um, were important to Vlad II. so some of the palaces and things like that. And I also went to his tomb Uh, where he's buried. The reason why I bring him up is because he is believed to be the model for Bram Stoker's Count Dracula when he wrote about it. Uh, There's really no indication that says Vlad Dracul was a vampire, but he was a pretty bloodthirsty person. Uh, He defended Wallachia, which is uh, now part of Romania, against the Turks. Mm -hmm. And when he took 10,000 Turkish prisoners, he impaled them all on spikes uh, along a road that the, that the next Turkish army was going to come through. What a real when nice they saw guy. 10, yeah. when they saw ten thousand of their fellow soldiers impaled on poles, they uh, they left. You know, so there's stories that grew up around him mm-hmm. uh, being not only bloodthirsty, but maybe being something else. And Dracul, D R A C U L, which was their actual family name uh, in Romanian, translates to the devil. So really, you, that. <laughs> So is it a myth? Well, you know, um, a lot of stories I said came up around around him after he died and centuries after stories developed, uh, because of his bloodthirsty nature. Now, there are people in Romania, that will tell you that, yeah, he was he was something else. He was not just human, he was some kind of a devil or vampire or spirit of some sort. Um, So that's out there, you know, there, you yeah, just no, you we,
0: just brought up something very interesting. Can yeah. shape shifting be applied to a person who is unpossessed who becomes possessed? They transform from the or they shape the they uh, the shape shift from a a person into a demonically possessed person.
1: Well, I don't. Um... I I think it's possible. One thing that Mm -hmm. does happen, if you look at all the literature about shapeshifters, uh, I started mentioning a little bit earlier, there's voluntary shapeshifters and involuntary shapeshifters. And the voluntary ones are the shamans, the wizards, the Mm -hmm. witches, whatever you want to call them in society, that were able to, uh, that had the power to do it, that that can change themselves. Uh, The involuntary ones were the ones that were frequently cursed by those same people sometimes. So we think of a werewolf, right? Every time the full moon comes out, he turns into a werewolf, despite mm-hmm. despite he doesn't do that voluntarily. It's a curse. You think of even some of the fairy tales, like the frog prince. Mm-hmm. This poor guy's turned into a frog, right. a witch. Uh, Beauty and the Beast. You know, the beast is not a beast. He's a prince that's turned into it, again, by a witch, a curse. So there's that. So if you can curse uh, a person to become uh, something other, an animal or whatever, why couldn't you curse them, I suppose, to be... Possessed, although that term possession is a little bit, you know, it's fraught with different meanings. I mean, a lot of times we're talking about somebody who really has some kind of diabolical entity that has entered him. Well, but that would change him, wouldn't it? It would. would. certainly change him.
0: All right, stand by John. You and I have to take our break at the bottom of the hour for the news. Next on Nation, John Kachuba is our special guest this hour. com. And John and I will be back on the other side of this news break as we continue talking about Shape shifting here in the Exome from our broadcast center and studio in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. I'm Rob McConnell. Don't go away. Nation. Uh, I'm talking to John Kachuba. He's the author of Shapeshifters: A History. His website is www.johnkachuba.com. All right, let's let's switch a little bit from the past and let's get into the present because I'd like to talk to you about the um, about the alien or the reptilian alien shapeshifting that uh, we hear about these days from people who are right into ETs, UFOs, and alien abductions.
1: Right. This is a theory. uh, Well, reptilian alien shapeshifters, Mm -hmm. the whole idea is a theory that's put out by a guy in England named David. I don't know how you pronounce his last name. Ikes? Yeah, Ike, like bike. (laughs) Okay. I thought that was it. I didn't want to insult him by pronouncing his name wrong. Uh, And basically, the theory is that you know, eons ago, millions of years ago, I don't know how long, but very long time ago, mm-hmm. uh, Earth was visited by aliens of sort of a reptilian nature. Um, and they came to Earth, basically settled here and mated with the proto humans that were here at the time, whatever, whatever uh, they looked like, you know. Um, and, and this race is still mm-hmm. with us in Earth, living among us, hidden, but carrying this reptilian. Alien genes, uh, and they are apparently able to shift into reptilian form. And the interesting thing about this uh, theory is that, according to, uh, is it Ike's? Is that what you said? That's right, David Ike. Yeah. yeah. I mean, according to Ike, uh, the the idea is that a lot of these um, shapeshifters, these reptilian alien shapeshifters, have achieved some success uh, as as famous athletes or actors or you know artists. We're politicians
0: and royalty, uh, and, some... and royalty. What's he that? believes the Queen of England is a reptilian.
1: Yes, right. Quite uh-huh. right. The Queen of England, Barack Obama, supposedly. Um, I think uh, I, I don't know who the other one was, but there, I mean, there's several around the world, uh, and it's an interesting theory. What's really interesting about it is that there are millions of people that mm-hmm. subscribe to you know newsletters and websites and all that um, talking about this. Well, sure. Uh, and if you go on the internet. And just plug in reptilian alien shapeshifter videos, Right. you'll see a bunch. And what people will show you is a change in the eye. They'll show you the human eye becoming sort of like a, like a snake eye, you mm-hmm. know, the pupil changes everything. and everything. of course, you know, we know you can do a lot with Photoshop and, sure. you know, you can certainly alter videos and everything. So I, I don't, I personally don't put a lot of stock in this theory, but a lot of people do.
0: Neither do I. I. I give it no credibility whatsoever and I think David Icke is <laughs> okay, you know, stronger than I was going yeah, to say. But no. yeah. No, I, I call it as it is. I call it spade a spade. Uh, and okay. and if anything, I think David Icke is a charlatan out there. He's got his little groupies. He's found his little niche in, in a market that that is so easy to to get a following with today, because right. in my opinion, the internet is the largest septic tank that mankind has ever created because there's more <laughs> crap in it than anything else. Yes. And um my question to David that I never got an answer on was, "Are you a reptilian?"
1: <laughs> well,
0: you know, that's a good point. Yeah. how does
1: he know so much about it, right?
0: Well, you know, a, a, well, the person who uh, a person who writes nonfiction creates, you know, has a creative ma- imagination and can write about anything, create his own characters, and you know, he knows it better than anybody else. And I think this is what happened with David. I think that um I think that he decided that you know this was a little niche you know the aliens were taken the grays were taken so why don't we come up with a different race <laughs> Un- Unfortunately for David there is no scientific evidence whatsoever to give any of his theory any credibility right you know so it's 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 rather sad to see so many people being taken by such a vivid imagination and you know i've often wondered what that tells us about society are we that desperate for an alternative that we're willing to accept anything
1: oh well yeah yeah i mean i think in some ways Mm -hmm. that's sort of where the shapeshifter comes into if if we're not satisfied with who we are and what we do and and the person that we are Mm -hmm. and we Put our faith in sort of a shapeshifter. What is that saying about us? Exactly,
0: right? uh, it, our shapeshifter. I would imagine then, when somebody puts on a Halloween costume and they go out going door to door, that they are in fact taking the role of a shapeshifter.
1: Well, yeah, they are. I mean, there's a strong connection there, mm-hmm. and and I have to say that I am a major fan of Halloween. Yeah. And every year, my wife and I do a massive Halloween party in costumes, so they <laughs> But but I do think there is something to it. I, I think that. Um, you know, if we, uh, if we accept the fact that, that we sort of uh, virtually take on the aspect of a character, then what better way to do it than behind a mask and, and a costume, right? I mean, it's, it's a safe way to, to do that if you want to talk about sort of safety. Um, but, you know, an interesting thing is that um, in the 18th century, uh, masquerades were banned in England. A masquerade came to England from Italy. And that alone was bad, because the English did not like Italians, and it was Protestants versus Papists and all mm-hmm. that. So there was a lot going on there. Uh, but they considered Italians to be completely immoral. And being half Italian, I, mm-hmm. I would argue that point. But sure. Anyway. Uh, yeah. But so they banned the uh, masquerades in the 18th century because people were coming to them, obviously, in masquerade. They were coming in costume, and they were able to do pretty much whatever they wanted to do. Uh, they took liberties with each other between sexes and, you know, uh, people in authority, lower people, you know, whatever. They, they took all these liberties that were frequently immoral, illegal, uh, and became a real problem. So they were acting out instead of just putting on the mask and costume and letting go with that. They were truly acting out that, that persona they were taking on. So there's that, um, which kind of leads me into uh, cosplay which is uh, you know, a big thing. There's cosplay uh, conventions, and people spend millions and millions of dollars every year. Tell our listeners
0: uh, more about this, because I'm sure there's listeners cosplay? around the world who yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. have so, no idea so what it is.
1: Cosplay is, is it's people taking on the characters of um, anime figures, mm-hmm. or figures from movies, figures from uh, comic books, you know. And, and they'll dress like those characters. I mean, right to the nth degree. They'll dress like those characters, and they will act like those characters. So if one of those characters speaks some some weird alien language, and you address him in English, he's going to answer you in this alien language, and he's not going to talk to you in English because that's not who he is. Um, and these people, I mean, it's, it's fun for them, and I, I have nothing. I have no qualms about them doing it. But there are huge conventions. Held all around the world, um, mm-hmm. where these cosplayers and that—that's short for costume, COS, It's cosplayer. Um, these cosplayers get together, uh, and you know they just—they—they they have different, you know, workshops and and uh, they show movies and mm-hmm. else. But everybody is dressed up. So if there's a if there's a cosplay convention anywhere near your town. It's just worth it to go just just to see that, but it's it's a whole subculture that's developed, um, and it's relatively harmless. I mean, I don't see any harm in it. Although uh, some of it has gotten to the point where cosplay has um, moved into more the pornographic end. The
0: I see. well, yeah. it, it, <laughs> isn't it safe to say then? For example, Patrick Stewart in real life, when he plays. Captain Jean Luc Picard and dons the the uniform of a Star Trek uh, Starfleet officer. That he is in fact a shapeshifter.
1: Well, he is, yeah. and, and he's in that role. But I think the difference with him, mm-hmm. and maybe maybe it's the same thing as a cosplayer. But I think when he takes off that uniform at home, that yeah. costume, I think he's not that character anymore. Um, cosplayers, I'm not sure because they, in addition to that, there's there's games they play and everything else, and there's you know magazines they get in newsletters, and they're really into that culture more. But they are, in fact, acting.
0: All so. right, so what about these people who who partake in the War of 1812? Um, they get mm-hmm. fully costumed and they, you know, make sure they have the right kind of rifle and they want to look the same. Isn't, isn't that shape-shifting as well?
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I would say so. I mean, they're, they're historical reenactors, is what right. they would call themselves. Mm-hmm. And that's fine, but they certainly are shape-shifting, and in a true sense, because, again, it's not just the uniform. Yeah. But, you know, the hardcore guys that do this and women that do it, um, again, you know, they, they use uh, equipment and everything from that time period. They cook mm-hmm. food from that time period. They live in tents or whatever from right. that time period. So they're very much into that. So sure. can
0: we also say that that people who partake in virtual reality games online are also shape shifting except they're just using the digital version instead of the costume to become shape shifters.
1: Yeah, I think you can make a case for that too. Mm-hmm. and that, that to me is more what I'd call the internal, you know, because obviously you're not turning into some superhero when you're sitting in your chair playing the game. But, but, but to them they are. Mentally, they are yes, mentally you are. Yeah. Right, exactly.
0: So so what are we saying here that uh, we're looking at Something that could be a danger in society when you've got these people actually believing they're somebody else and they're escaping reality using uh costumes or using the digital world re- virtual reality. Are, are we seeing a trend that we're getting more to the woo woo side of reality than the hardcore basic reality of looking at the problems and saying, you know, this is how it's solved, but it's easier to run into
1: a costume? Yeah, well, I think there's two things there. I, I think. To your second point, your last mm-hmm. point, I think, yes, I think for some people it is easier yeah. just to say, I can't deal with this, so I'm going to go into costume and, and go into a fantasy world. All right, is we're, there going a danger? To,
0: we're going to light, let you talk about the second part when we come back from our final break. Exonation. Okay. Right. John Kachuba is our special guest. His book is Shapeshifters, A History. His website is johnkachuba.com. And we'll be back as we wrap up this hour here in the X-Zone on the X-Zone Broadcast Network and Simul TV on the other side of this break. Don't go away. www.johnkachuba.com is the website of our guest this hour, John Kachuba. He is the author of Shapeshifters, A History. First of all, John, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Congratulations on a fascinating book. I wish you much success. and um, It's great seeing you again. It's been quite some while. In fact, the last time you were on, I think we were talking about ghosts, if my memory serves Uh, me correctly. No doubt. (laughs) Are you still involved in the world of the paranormal at the ghost level?
1: Yeah, I am. But as I said, I'm I'm sort of expanded, mm-hmm. you know, because shapeshifters, and I don't know where I'll go from here next. Yeah, um, but yeah, still there.
0: So when we look at the 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 world of shapeshifters, the uh, are, do you get reports from people who read your book and say, "Hey, listen, I don't know if you know this, but uh, I saw somebody shapeshift or I'm a shapeshifter. I can turn myself into whatever." <laughs>
1: Well, the book isn't out yet, so I haven't had those kinds of reports directly mm-hmm. from people. But again, as I said, there's been a lot of newspaper accounts of, of people saying that they've seen yeah. people shift. And it's happening, you know, in other areas, I suppose.
0: Based on your research, how can we tell if somebody is being real with us when they talk about shape-shifting and not just making it up? Are there any red flags to watch out for?
1: Wow. <laughs> you know, that's the same question that I asked every time I was doing uh, investigative work for my books about ghosts. Mm-hmm. You know, how do I know somebody is actually telling me the truth, and right? Not just you know, going, and, and to be honest, you know, I'm not a detective. I don't know. I mean, what I what I try to do is when I hear a story is I just try to research as much as possible to see, well, okay, this person said they saw a shapeshift or a right. ghost or whatever. Um, have, have other people seen it before? Uh, are there other reports someplace, written mm-hmm. reports or anything that would sort of back up that story, some other documentation? Even then, I don't necessarily know if that individual person who was talking to me is being straight with me. But at least I might be able to find something to back it up. And I was really careful that when I when I wrote. Well, actually, all my books that I wrote uh, to try to make sure that I had some some backup, so mm-hmm. I just didn't rely on one person coming to me saying, "Hey, I saw a ghost yeah. yesterday," or "I saw a shapeshifter." You know, because it's too easy to do. Anybody can do that. So I, I tried to, as best I could to to make sure I had some corroboration.
0: What's your favorite shape uh, shape shifting story?
1: <laughs> well, there's one that. Uh, just came out it was 2014 I actually I think I may mention this it's from a place, it's from Nigeria and the story is that there were villagers in a small town in Nigeria, a small village and they saw three black birds flying over the village just around daybreak. And next thing they know in their midst is this old woman. she's 90 years old and she was wearing black. And she said that she was one of those birds. Uh, and that she was, she said she was a witch, and that she was flying back from her coven mm-hmm. and that as she was flying back with the other two birds, who I assume were also witches, right. uh, she got lost on her way back to, on her way back home, and because of that, uh, she was out until the morning, till daybreak, and she lost her powers, she lost her witch powers, and so she reverted back to her uh, form again as. Uh, as an old lady, an year old lady. I, I like the story because villagers swear by it, and it made the newspapers in Nigeria uh, as a legitimate. Like, hey, this is an incredible story, but not like, oh, this is a wild story. You no, know, it's like, no, this is a true story. You know, that's that's how it was reported in Nigeria, um, and, which isn't surprising, really. A lot of indigenous cultures, mm-hmm. you know, it's straightforward. There's not a lot of research, but you tell me this happens, it happens. Um, But the interesting thing, too, about this little postscript to that story is that for some reason, when the villagers were talking to her and asking her about where she came from and all that, she admitted to murdering her husband. um, Just sort of out of the blue, like, I'm a witch, I'm I'm lost, and oh yeah, by the way, I murdered my husband. So, a very interesting shapeshifter story.
0: (laughs) Uh, To say the very least. How about (laughs) about in Native American folklore and legend? Are there shapeshifting examples there?
1: Yeah, the, probably the most well-known one is skinwalkers, uh, which are common among the Diné people, the, mm-hmm. the Navajo, the Southwest. And skinwalkers basically are shamans, they're wizards, or, or witches, it could be female, um, who take on the form usually of an animal, but it can sometimes be another person. And they're, they're malevolent. Uh, there's nothing nice about them. When they take on that form their reason is to injure or kill somebody. And it's usually uh, revenge for something done to them. Uh, So they are widely feared by the Diné, and and as well as some other uh, Native American peoples in the Southwest, they won't even talk about skinwalkers. Is it it
0: possible that in in cases like this, when somebody becomes a a shapeshifter, takes a different shape, and commits a crime like murder, that the that the shape-shifting is actually an alibi and has nothing really to do with the, with the act itself, that the person who committed the murder had full intent of doing it, but they're using the shape-shifting as an alibi. Like, yeah, geez, I, I didn't know I was doing it because I was something else.
1: Sure, sure. I mean, it's possible. There's mm-hmm. a lot of cases about um, lycanthropy, people claiming to be werewolves. Right. And in my book, I've got maybe six or seven cases of people who went out and, and murdered you know, several individuals over, this is a couple of centuries, mostly in France, Germany, wherever, um, who killed several individuals and you know, would, would eat them and everything else, and, and claiming that they were wolves. Um, and even locked up in institutions, they would be crawling around on all fours claiming to be wolves. Now, is that just a way out? You're claiming insanity, is that a way out of – is that a defense? Yeah. Could be. Could be. Sure. But on the other hand, there are people that I think truly believe that that has happened to them, that they have become a wolf or a skinwalker or you know some, some other entity. Those are the internal shapeshifters that I was talking about before. Or something inside them mentally says, yes, this is who you are. Oh. Even though I look in the mirror, they don't see a wolf.
0: No, well, I'm sure it's something inside mentally when it comes to that kind of act. Um, yeah. Is there a crossover within the paranormal between shape-shifting and other aspects of the paranormal that you have investigated in the past or written about in the past?
1: Crossover. Um,
0: For, let's, let's take Bigfoot. Nobody finds a Bigfoot. Is it possible that... Bigfoot is a shapeshifter.
1: Well, you know, I don't know. I'm not really a, a Bigfoot, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a professional, but right. um, it, it, I suppose it's possible. I, I I tend to believe that Bigfoot is just some species of animal that has just avoided, you know, evaded us for centuries, right. and that just has to be some other ape or something that we don't know about yet, but.
0: What would you like to tell the listening audience of the XO Nation now about shapeshifting and also tell them where they can get a copy of your book?
1: Sure, sure. Well, uh, the book will be out at the end of May, early mm-hmm. June, and uh, it actually can be pre-ordered right now at my website, which is, as you mentioned before, johnkachuba.com or it can actually be ordered from the University of Chicago Press who is the distributor for the publisher here in the U S it's actually being published in the UK. Um, so, so that'll be around and I'll be speaking, you know, i uh, universities and libraries like mm-hmm. I always do conferences. So all that information is on my website too. And I hope that people will check my schedule of appearances and, and come see me and hear what I have to say. And I'd like to hear what, what they have to say. Uh, I'm always interested in the stories that people tell me when I make my, my presentations. So, so what's next for you? Well, you know, I'm working now primarily in fiction. Um, actually, I didn't, I didn't mention it, but I had a paranormal novel that was published last year called uh, Dark Entry, mm-hmm. and it's based on an actual location in Connecticut. Uh, I took some fictional liberties with it, but, you know. Right. Uh, so I'm working in, in fiction primarily with some novels, and they always have a paranormal or ghostly element in it, it seems.
0: Why do you think there are so many people today in the 21st century? So interested in the paranormal, ghosts, Bigfoot, UFOs, <laughs> things that go bump in the night. Like.
1: Yeah. I think this goes back to something we sort of hit on before that, you know, when times are, are, are not looking that great, there's a lot of discontent in America right now and other countries of the world too as well. And I think a lot of times they're overwhelming or we think they're overwhelming and we don't know how to react to them. So rather than react to them, we look for something else. And we look for something outside ourselves, something that we don't have to try to analyze, something that is beyond us. And that's the paranormal. I mean, it could be, you know, maybe religion or something else like that, too. But I think a lot of people turn to uh, questions of, you know, what's out there in terms of the afterlife or are there other spirits, are there other entities Mm -hmm. besides us? Is there life on other planets that's visiting us? all those kinds of questions. What's Bigfoot? <laughs> you know, all that. I, I, um, guess,
0: I guess to some people, asking those questions is a lot easier than saying, what can I do to make a positive change in the world we live in?
1: Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's people that do that, and I, and I hope there's more of them. But there are other people that, you know, it's overwhelming. We just, you just can't deal with it. So you do something else. You go outside yourself in a different way.
0: John, once again, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Great talking to you again. Continued success. And uh, once again, tell our listeners uh, your website and how they can get your book when it comes out the end of May.
1: Sure. www.johnkachuba.com. You can get the book directly that way. Or uh, you can pre order it now. Uh, it'll be out in the bookstores in May and June. Uh, it should be in pretty much most local bookstores. So just ask for it there. It's on Amazon, it'll be all over. You can easily find it.
0: John, take care of yourself, and thank you very much for joining us. Good seeing you again. Thanks.
1: Take
0: care. ExoNation, our guest this hour has been John Kachuba. Once again, if you'd like to find out more about John, www.johnkachuba.com. Now, I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news as we continue here in the Exo from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Shapeshifting. Are you a skeptic or are you a believer? Hmm. Let me see here. Shapeshifting. Uh, I'll have to go with, I've got to take the skeptic side on this because I'm a realist. I even use my real name. I am Rob McConnell. This is the Exxon and we'll be back as once again we cross the time-space continuum to this place that I call the Exxon. Until then, always keep your eyes to the sky and your heart to the light. Good night, everyone.